Welcome to our chat, season one, episode one, Bridge Building. Trisha here from Aurora Cornerstone, and I have Pastor Wayne with me. Hey, hello, everyone. Uh, we are just, you know, we've been talking, Pastor Wayne and I have been talking about creating another avenue for us to be able to talk about relevant um, issues that are happening in our world that can affect us and just give people tools to be able to think through and process through these issues. Um, we had it set for fall, but um, you know, this, this, like some, some matters have come up and we're like, let's put a little speed button on this and bring it up a bit sooner. And so here we are doing our first podcast. Uh, we're going to do it probably once a month until we get out of um, social isolation. And so, that, so that's really the heart behind this podcast. This particular one, we want to talk about sort of an issue that's top of mind of everyone today. Um, and it's just all of the headlines that are around race relations in primarily the U.S., but how does that affect us in Canada? Um, our church is fairly diverse, so we want to be able to understand better so that we can love each other the way God intended us to. So, Pastor Wayne, I'm going to ask you now, you've been reading the news, you've been taking in some of the headlines. How, um, what are your thoughts and how is this affecting you? Hey, thanks, Trish. And, and yeah, it's, uh, I think this is something that when we both began to talk about this, we felt that this would be a good start off where, because this is a really hot button right now. And initially you begin to think, I was thinking that, um, uh, you know, okay, so what's going on? Is this simply uh, the media driving this? Is this, uh, you know, what, what, where do I fit into this? Or do I even bother to fit into this? Is this something that is not uh, related to me? And um, you saw the pictures, you saw what took place with Floyd and uh, the, uh, the injustice that took place with all of what happened around that. And then the next thing we have marches, the next thing you have uh, looting, you have uh, violence, you have clashes, then you've got people rising up on both sides. Uh, now, and, and so the other question I began to think, well, how much of this is American? How much is this is, uh, is it, we are, we're peaceful Canadians here. Does it, how much does it affect us? Uh, but it does. And the more I began to understand the underlying issues behind what's going on, uh, I was embarrassed that I really was ignorant. I was really not understanding, nor had I taken the time to understand the, the, what was going on, what was taking place behind the scenes, and what was going on in the hearts of these people that were involved. And I think one of the things that stirred my heart was I was watching both white and blacks responding to this, uh, and I didn't really know where I fit into that. So that's kind of where I came at it from. And you know, it's interesting, it's as uh, my own background, I mean, I'm as white as you're going to get. If you know me, I'm as I'm white. Uh, but having said that, my, if you go back in my genealogy and into my history, if you go back five to six generations ago, as a matter of fact, if you even go back to my grandpa on the Lucas side, uh, you see a lot of um, black indications in him because if you go back five to six generations uh, to George Lucas and prior, he was black. He was African and came up from the States. And then the Lucases split off. Some went to Nova Scotia. Some came here to Ontario Obviously, I'm of the line of the Ontario who just kept marrying into uh, European descent. 
And if you go to Nova Scotia, if you go just outside Halifax, there's a whole community, there's a street called Lucasville, which are distant relatives going back a number of generations. And again, an entire black community. That, um, that awareness realizing that that doesn't give me any entitlement because I just really don't understand what are the differences, the, the, uh, the differences in just how we have grown up and how we have seen the world is a world apart. And I've not understood that until I think with what's been happening and I'm thankful for the education and what's happening in the last few weeks to be able to start me in a deeper understanding with um, the deep issues behind this, which uh, I just honestly didn't know. So I, I, having said that, Trish, I know we've been talking a bit about this and I just ask you because I, I've heard a little of your story and your story has been a very interesting journey because it's a journey that um, when you came to Canada, a journey of the community that you started to hang out with and grow from, you began to learn a lot yourself. And so um, I think it's valuable, Trish, uh, to kind of give us a, a quick, what happened with your journey? Okay, so thank you. Um, what I always say to everyone that I was really fortunate to have grown up um, a good portion of my life in Trinidad. Um, and because in Trinidad, everybody looks like me, similar to how, um, to your reality in Toronto or even, you know, Canada passed away. And it was, it's that, you know, when I turn on the TV, the news reporters look like me. When I open a magazine, they look like me. In school, I read books about people like me. Um, you know, everything, everybody represented me. So I was clearly in the majority in Trinidad. And so when you come out of a country like that, if someone didn't like you, it wasn't necessarily because of the color of your skin. It was probably because of something else, you know, you know, your lifestyle, what you had access to other things. So when I came to Canada, I was not aware that the color of my skin can carry such weight. Um, moving to Canada, when we arrived to Canada, I was supposed to start in grade 10. And so my parents went to register us for school and the school administration wanted to put us a year back. So they wanted me to go back to grade nine um, and to put us in, in an English as a second language class. So in Trinidad, we speak English, like that's our language, but no testing was done, absolutely nothing. They just thought, okay, you are coming from a third world country. Um, so you're not at the stage for, to sit in classes with people your age. And so my parents, fought against it. They were like, this is not happening. My kids are able to succeed in their right class and they speak English. So after many disagreements and many talks, we were put into the class we were supposed to go to. So, you know, things like that, I think about if my parents didn't have the, um, the energy or even the knowledge to fight against that, how very different my life would have been now, possibly, because we know that um, there is, there's streaming that's done for kids, right? Like kids are just put into to streams. Oh, you would be a good, you'd be good with your hands. Why don't you go into trade? You know, so that was, so my, so my, my um, experience was very much, first of all, my parents advocating, like they can do this, put them into the class that they, that they need to. 
Um, and I don't know if it's as a result of that, but like in my high school, it was predominantly in a Jewish area. So we were like a handful of black students in the school. And my experience was generally good. You know, we had teachers that took an interest in us, who looked out for us, who like, you know, I would say now looking back, I know they were allies, right? But back then it was just like, oh, this teacher's really, you know, sending us to conferences and putting us up for positions that probably wouldn't have necessarily been available to us. But then when I look at Robert, he always grew up as the minority because he was born in Canada. And so he has experienced so many things that I had no idea was even, you know, and I think just like he is black and he's a man. So that's almost like two strikes, if you can put it that way against him in that he, you know, teachers would have said, maybe you're better with your hands, go into a trade. So they tried to stream him into certain, um, certain, paths, career paths. Um, you know, when he got his license, he was stopped for no reason. So we have two very different experiences. Um, but now that I've spent so much of my life here, I can, I've come to appreciate that the color of our skin really does have a huge impact on our standard of life, right? Um, just to sort of get I didn't want to only talk out of my personal experience. So I did a bit of research and, you know, I'm super thankful for the police. Noah has wanted to be a police officer from a very young age. He's changed his mind a bit now, but I have to like talk him into that because I think he'll make a great. And, you know, I think racism um, in policing is not just exclusively an American thing right? Like we read stories, we hear news about it happening in, in Canada as well. Um, in Ottawa, a couple years ago, there was a man who, you know, um, a Somali man who was pepper sprayed and beaten by the Ottawa police. Um, and, you know, they continued to beat him while he was handcuffed. That police was charged with manslaughter. Um, and in doing this, I found out that Canadian uh police departments, they don't release detailed statistics on the use of force incidents. So we would never know what that true picture looks like. Um, but I found a report from CBC and it said that uh, between 2000 and 2017, 52 people were killed in encounters with the, black, with the police in Toronto and 19 of those were black. So 30% of the fatalities were black people, um, but blacks only made up about 8% of the population, right? So it's like, I think when we talk about proportions, that's where the concern comes in. So um, they are killed at, a higher rate proportionally based on the percentage of the population that um, that we take up. Um, educational disadvantages, you know, um, there is an entrenched belief in that. And even us, like when we came to Toronto, I just said that there was this thing of maybe you don't have the intelligence to do this or you're inferior in some way. So they're pushed into other streams. Um, you know, Noah has had his grade eight teacher. She, again, was a total advocate for the black students in her school because she had been exposed to studies that showed that there is that black students have a disadvantage. And you know, I don't only want to blame um, whites for this because I think too sometimes it's also that parents just don't have the tools that they need in order to properly advocate for their kids, right? And that could be for a variety of reasons, either their jobs take up too much of their time just to put food on their table. So there's there's like a whole system, right? That, that needs to, sort of be overturned. But I think, 
even in Canada, and I admit that we in Canada, it's not as bad as the it's as the states, and I'm so thankful for that. And I thank God that my parents chose Canada, um, but we still have to have different conversations with our kids, right? Um, on one hand, I tell my boys that their skin is beautiful. You have beautiful black skin. Um, but on the other hand, I ask them to hide it. And when I say hide it, it's not like, you know, be white. But it's so when I tell them to be proud of their skin, if they have a school presentation and they need a picture of a family, don't just put in Google family and choose the first picture that you see. Put a black family because we want you to represent, to be, to show yourself in the class. And so all of these things, right? Like you put a term in Google, white images are going to come up more than black images. Like you have to say black in order or Asian or another, you know, racial um, group in order to get that. But on the same hand, um, I have to tell my boys, hey, when we're going here, I want you to dress properly, speak well, smile, no hoodies, don't rock the boat, don't speak too loud, don't laugh too much, you know, all of these things in order to, um, uh, you know, to self-preserve. That, that word just popped in my head. I don't know if it's appropriate, but it's like you're doing these things not to draw too much attention to yourselves. You know, I've had conversations with my boys. If you're going into a store, leave your backpack outside. Make sure your hands are seen at all times because all of these things, it's like I don't want them to give any room for someone to create more barriers for them other than the color of their skin already is right um it's a heavy load for um for them for sure we were even talking this morning about going on vacation you know the boys would want to wear sort of sort of like loungewear sweats and i'll be like nope you're wearing jeans <laughs> we are dressing appropriately to get onto that plane um because we know how we will be perceived right when robert had dreads Every time we went through security checkout or check-in at the airport, he would be randomly stopped and quote unquote randomly. When he cut his dreads, he has never, ever been stopped. <laughs> and, you know, you can kind of say, okay, well, it was just that, that person that was there. But, you know, we, we're not massive travelers, but we never get the same person twice when we travel. So, you know, part of it is like, yes, there is this um, societal um, you know, view of Blacks that we experience, that we have more disadvantages than our white counterparts. Um, so that's a bit of my reality. <laughs> well, and you know, um, and we're, so we've dived right in here uh, because we don't want this to be a never-ending conversation, which it actually is a never-ending conversation. Uh, we really do want this to be an initial conversation. And I think it's more than just um, uh, just learning and just becoming aware. This is more than a teaching moment. It does require us to do something. It's not simply something that we go, okay, I've learned something today, but my learning must move into, into how am I going to respond? And that becomes the huge, huge, in my opinion, the huge next step, which we're going to get to. Uh, but, but Pastor Trish, you made comment uh, to me um, prior to this, just in some of the stories, and you've alluded to some of them here. I know you made mention of a situation like, for instance, uh, with in the black community, and maybe I don't know if it was with your sons, but we're saying, listen, if you get pulled over by the police, make sure you have your your um, your ID, you have your driver's license, you have your ownership, have it on the seat next to you, have it have it there. Don't go into the glove box for it, um, because 
that could be perceived as something. And you know, again, I would have never have thought of that. You mentioned a situation of a family member who was in a store, had purchased something very, very like anybody else, any other time, but then uh, through some circumstances, they had been asked uh, by people who are taking temperatures at the front door and making sure you obey all the COVID regulations that if that person had purchased the property and, and just kind of, it comes up into the mind, uh, why are we being targeted? Why, why are the blacks targeted? You mentioned about Rob with his dreads versus Rob without his dreads. Um, and I think in some ways we understand, okay, well, you know, even any ethnic group of people, if like I was thinking, and, and Lori and I were just having a conversation, you know, if, if I go and I have uh, long hair and a ponytail, you know, tattooed pants halfway down, gruff, right? I'll, I'm going to be characterized in a particular category because I'm, I've identified with a segment that is of a higher proportion of lawbreakers. Uh, so does that make me prejudiced? Does that make me, um, does that cause me, if I judge somebody like that, a judgmental person, a person that hasn't uh, given them the benefit of the, of the doubt? Uh, so those, but here's the thing with the, with this, what's happening right now in the black community. It's not just the actions that we need to look at. It's the history, isn't it? That we need to look at. It's the story behind the story that to me has been a revelation. It's the story behind the story. And the story behind the story is about the history of the black movement in North America, the history of the black movement and you alluded to that coming from Trinidad, you, the, everybody was black, everybody got along, there was, there was not uh, us and them group until you came to Canada. And all of a sudden you began to realize uh, the blacks are carrying something in their emotions that you were unaware of. And this was not necessarily first generation, this is carried down through generations. And it's, and, and here's some of the things I've been learning, and I want you to maybe unpackage this for us, would you, Trish? The traumas, the traumas that have, and I, here's the word I've heard, that have dehumanized a race that is in the very emotions. We, I think they call it into the ethnic fiber of the black community. And you can't separate this. You can't just get rid of this in a generation. And it's not up to the blacks to get rid of it. It's up to everyone else to work in tandem in helping to, to treat us all as equal individuals. Now, can you maybe unpackage this a little bit? Because I know you've talked a bit about this. Yeah, so, um, you know, it's interesting. I always find it so that, okay, so slaves were first brought to America about 400 years ago, right? We can say that that was the start of slavery. Harriet Tubman, probably where your grandfather, your great grandfather, you know, sort of originated from. She was, it was 169 years ago that she arrived in St. Catharines as a runaway slave and she became the Underground Railroad conductor. So this is 169 years ago. My grandmother is 103 years ago, right? And so 169 years ago is still in the conceivable past. Like it's, it's not that far away. Um, so this traumatic event of being brought from another country to help build another country that happened about 400 years ago, we all say, yes, that happened. Um, and I'm going to bring in a bit of the Bible here. You know, how long ago would you say Adam and Eve was, Pastor Wayne? That that took place? Yes. 
about 6,000 years ago. Okay, so 6,000 years ago. So we're talking about people being able to understand that Adam and Eve committed a sin 6,000 years ago and are then able to link all of the atrocities or all of the impacts that we now have as a result of something that happened 6,000 years ago. Whereas slavery happened 400 years ago and people, it's really hard for them to make that connection, right? And I get so, um, I think that's probably the most frustrating thing is that, you know, sometimes we tend to say, oh, that doesn't impact you. Um, why is this still a problem? You know, when we can understand that this has that something more than 400 years ago still impacts us today as believers and as the world. You know, what Adam and Eve did 6,000 years ago is the reason for racism today, right? Um, but the, the trauma that, um, that I think a lot of Blacks carry as a result of, of slavery is still there and it needs to be healed. Like, I think, you know, I read, oh, I heard, and we'll put that into the resources for this podcast, is that, um, you know, part of slavery was dehumanizing the Black people, right? And like making them feel less than, I think in a sense, it's, they were part of a man. They weren't even counted as a full human being. Well, this, and this became, I mean, even that they were they were like apes, you know, I mean, right. I mean, let's call it what it was. That's what they were told. They were told and they come over, they compared them to apes. They compared them to animals. I mean, here's the part that was shocking enough that, you know, they were treated as little pets. Um, and, and somehow if your, if your owner treated you good and, and allowed you to serve them or to, if you bought things for them, somehow they were supposed to be thankful for that. But if you just think about that, that is treating them as property. And so that is dehumanizing. And mm -hmm. so we think, well, we didn't treat them bad. And didn't that happen? And here was the thing. I've heard people say, didn't that happen in the Bible? I mean, weren't there slaves? Weren't there masters? But that, that was the thing that, that God and, the, and especially uh, when you move into the New Testament times, they were really stepping up against that. Listen, you can't treat them as property. They are not property. Uh, they were in a time where they had these huge class systems and they were separating them. And so the dehumanization, not just of, um, of a race, but we're talking of like they were treated, again, they were treated like animals. They were treated like apes. They were not treated in whites. And to simply say now you're treated as a white doesn't change it because that has been, like, as you said, generations. Yeah, generations. And I think um, definitely systems have been put into place to keep that inferiority. Right. And, you know, um, again, I think Canada was the land of freedom for a lot of the slaves that came up from the U.S. And I'm by no means a history major. So I think that's why things are probably not as bad here, because this was the land of freedom. So it was founded on something different than the U.S. Right. But back in like in the States, when you have that sort of generations of these, this group of people is inferior to us, you know, segmenting where they can live, removing certain um, 
things from within their reach, you know, saying you can only live in this particular area and I'm going to make it hard for you to get a loan to be able to purchase your own home. So just all of these different handicaps that are put into place because it is so ingrained in the very culture of it that people don't even realize that they're doing it for the most part. And I think when we say people don't realize they're doing it, I think if you were to ask a lot of people now, if they think they are racist, a lot of people are going to say no, because they don't see themselves as. And I think part of the entire thing that what is happening with George Floyd's death that's coming out of it is that it's no longer okay for you to simply not be racist. Now you have to be actively anti-racist, right? Because, um, you know, Robert says this all the time. He's like, everybody can say they're not racist and um, that they love my kids. But if my son were to ask you to marry your daughter, will you agree to that, right? And it's sort of like, it's action versus words. So what are you doing actively to show that you are not racist? How are you helping? How are you creating these allies with us? Because there's a platform that you have that we don't. And even having this conversation, Pastor Wayne, like I am so grateful that you have, you know, because I came in, it was just a conversation. Hey, Pastor Wayne, let's talk about what's happening. And you're like, okay, boom, this is what we're going to do. And it's like, okay. Um, but I think that's what you did. You were like, I have a platform as a pastor. I have, you know, I have a body of believers that trust me to bring them right information. And so I'm going to call you up and you're going to share that platform with me and you're going to help educate us, right? Because that's another thing. It's sort of like part of it is that people just because it doesn't affect them, they don't, I don't want to say don't care because they probably do care, but because it doesn't affect them, it's not urgent for them because there's no direct impact on them. Yeah, um, you know, uh, it's and, and as you mentioned, I think it's just not enough to educate. I do think education is the very first step. Then I think, uh, and we're going to do some practical, just as we, you know, close it off. There's some practical things in here. Uh, but there were some things and I, and I just want us to bring this up just because it's an awareness. Uh, there's been some studies, Pastor Trish, that you have brought to my awareness, and we're going to make this available to on the resources on, at the end some studies regarding how we naturally look, we, we, the community, the whites, naturally look to the blacks in a different way than we do to almost every other race of people. We have to acknowledge this. And uh, because I think most of us listening, if not all would say, listen, I'm not racist. I don't have a problem with this. So, you know, don't talk to me about this. You're singing to the choir. But I've discovered inside, there's a lot more than that meets the eye. And it's just the thoughts that come to my mind. It's the little things. And so, uh, Pastor Trish, would you just unpack these? There was a couple of stories that you brought to mind, which came to yours as well, um, regarding, uh, we've already talked about your kids, and we've already talked about how, and I know you, the first time you even mentioned this, and I was, I was shocked, and this is back here, uh, oh, probably a couple of years ago, when you were telling your boys, um, listen, you're going out with your friends, listen, guys, remember I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Remember you're black. You have to act better than those around you because you will not naturally be perceived equally with them. And to me, I was shocked. I was like, whoa, that's harsh. Um, like, why would you do that? Why would you, like, you're making your kids be fearful and anxious and, and they're going to be suspicious and they're always going to be looking over their shoulders and yet you'd made that comment. And then so since then, and I don't know if that was a couple of years ago, but since then, 
all these things have been happening, which have been just giving weight to, well, there's a reason you said this. You are trying to help them navigate minefields that they are living in here in this country, uh, in North America, in a white society. But irregardless, they are navigating these huge minefields that, um, and, and part of it had to do with where we unconsciously have prejudices. Mm-hmm. So can you unpackage that? Some of it had to do with school teachers. Yeah. Right? I wanted to go there. Some of it had to do with um, regarding children, people who love yeah. all kinds of people, all yeah. ethnicities of people. And yet they didn't realize that they had been socially, uh, there had an advantage. And you've dropped this one on me a couple of times and I didn't know what to do with it the first time. You called it white privilege. And I thought, oh, wow, that really, I, I really felt, I feel kind of cheesy now that you used the white privilege. And so would you kind of unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot there, but I think, um, you know, back to, you said about me telling our boys that they're representing a whole group of people. I think it goes back to the media, right? Um, we have to remember that the media does not tell the full story. So when you see things on the media, um, or in the media, or you read things like, I want us to do due diligence to dig further. Don't just take this headline, dig further to find out the story. Um, I'll just touch on this right now with the riots and everything. Like some people might not understand why the riots are taking place. But when you think, when you look back at sort of the history of pain with this group of people, you know, I think it was Martin Luther King who said a riot is is uh, the voice of the unheard, oh, an action of the unheard. So when you understand the pain of this people, I think a lot, things begin to make sense, right? Um, And so this, you know, sort of all of these research that was done, and this one is one that I heard on a recent podcast, it was a group, a bunch of white teachers were taken into, um, they were told that they were coming in to do a test or research. I think it was done by Yale. And so they were put into a sort of a classroom with, um, and a lot of preschool kids came in, black and white preschool kids. And who doesn't love preschool kids? They're the cutest. Um, and the teacher was set, the teach, I think the teacher said, I may mess this up, but it'll be in the resources if I ruin this. But I think the, the essence of it was that the teacher was asked to keep an eye out for the troublemakers. And in the majority of cases, the teacher's eyes went straight to the black preschool kids. Like they're young, like all kids are cute, right? Um, And went straight there. And in an overwhelming majority of them, that's where they went. And I think this is when you're like, okay, when a kid cannot do absolutely anything and still be the subject of something negative because of the color of their skin, that's a problem. Right, we've profiled them. I mean, that's called profiling. Exactly, exactly. And even like, you know, I, in, in your office the other day, Pastor Wayne, I was like, it's exhausting. It's exhausting being black. Like we are constantly thinking about this is what I want to do. How will it be perceived? I want to be this person's friend. How, you know, how can I do that? How can I make them feel comfortable in my presence? Um, you know, and even down to, I told you, Isaiah's name is not really Isaiah. His name is Robert. Like we call him Isaiah because we love, well, it's his middle name because we love the name Isaiah. But you know, there's also research that's shown that when you whiten, quote unquote, your resume, the jobs are easier for you. And it's not just blacks, but it's other ethnicities as well. Like if you have a highly ethnic name, 
people, your resume is going to be overlooked. And so there's just a lot of, of, um, a lot of things that we, and I, I think I speak on behalf of racialized groups here, not just blacks, don't necessarily have access to because we are not the majority. We are the minority. Um, but as I said, I think my experience, I've had a lot of allies my entire life. I've had a lot of people who have been here. I have this position. Now I'm going to help you come up here. I'm going to open this door for you who weren't of my own race. And I am so thankful for that. But I think um, now we need to see more of those, right? And so it's like, well, here's where we move into what can you do to help? What can you do? How can we all, especially like followers of Christ, make a difference um, and help those who are less advantaged. So I think the one thing I would say is how do you know if you have white privilege? I saw this online the other day. If you have to educate yourself about racism, then you have white privilege. <laughs> because if you're not experiencing it, then that is a privilege. And so how can you use, how can you open um, the door? How can you, you know, put your hand down and help someone else up? Um, and I think the number one thing that this entire situation, the storm that we're in right now is saying is that silence is no longer an option, right? To be silent is to be complicit in whatever act is happening. When you look at the, the situation with George Floyd, there were four police officers there. Only one had only one was actually committing the act of having their knee on him. And there were three others, I think, there might have been five, but in any case, only one did it, but there were others who simply stood by and did nothing. And I think that's where we are right now. Like we can't afford, like racialized groups need help. We can't have those, um, you know, our white brothers and sisters simply stand by and do nothing. We need help with this issue. Um, you know, it's not, I read another thing, it's not a black versus white issue. It's a everybody versus racist. And so how can you be actively anti-racist in the things that you do? And I just came up with a couple of things. So I'm just going to let them. Okay. So knowledge, I think, do your research. Do not take what you see on the news at face value. When you have, when you see something, get online, do a bit more research, look at it from other sources as well to get a full sense of what is happening. Um, speak up, you know, if you hear a racist joke, a racist comment at work or even among your family, speak up. Um, we all have our biases and prejudices. I'm not saying our family's perfect either, um, but we all have to do better in our homes of being able to call racist discussions and racist beliefs exactly what it is uh relational you know our church is fairly diverse um invite a family who doesn't look like you over for lunch for dinner we can't do that right now but once we're able to you know and this is what like talk to them get to know them how can we build bridges to find out more because the way i look at it is if um if it was Robert who was in the place of George Floyd. A lot of our family at Aurora Cornerstone would be horrified by it because they know him. They know Robert. There's a relationship there. And so I think that's the key. We have to create relationships with people who don't know like what, you know, who don't know us, who don't look like us, so that we would be able to feel empathy 
when they hurt because that's the key. Um, and then be a vocal ally, right? If you're silent, then I don't know where you stand. Um, I don't have access to the same platforms as you do. So um, be vocal about it. And whether it is in asking questions, you know, and I know I've also spoken to so many in the last couple of weeks, a week and a bit, I've gotten so many text messages from friends um, who are just like, how are you doing? Can we talk about this? And on the other hand, some friends are terrified. They're like, I don't know what to say. I don't know if I'm going to say the right thing. <laughs> I'm going to say the wrong thing. If what I say is going to be offensive, if this picture that I post. And so I feel like there's also a time where everybody's walking on eggshells. Um, and, and you know, Trish, there was, there was something you had made mention, if I just jump in, something mm -hmm. you had mentioned to me that, that, um, uh, impacted because uh, you and Rob you you guys are are so connected uh, on in in every different uh, ethnicity groups uh, your 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 range is broad when this happened you were telling me that people were getting a hold of you uh, particularly white people getting a hold of you and saying I am so sorry mm -hmm. and how I'm so sorry I'm I I feel with you I stand with you I am, I apologize and that kind of a thing Like they were whatever words they were using, okay. but, uh, but here was the part that hit me was how that was very significant to you. That meant a lot to you and Rob, maybe your family too, <laughs> that these people reached out to you. They didn't remain silent. They didn't simply think it, but when this was happening, they reached out because I think they understood that this affects all black people. Doesn't simply affect the people south of the border. Doesn't simply affect the family of uh, George Floyd. It affects all black people because in the in the trauma and the the traumas that have been over the years of um, of not feeling equal, they're there. They're there whether subconscious or consciously. And by somebody just reaching out and saying, "I'm so sorry," how can I help you? How can I stand with you? How? And, and that's where some of these maybe protests these and and, and I'm thankful for these peaceful protests. And it's, and it is touching to watch what one of the most moving things I saw a week ago was, uh, and I think it was American, but where you had these police officers, white police officers, black police officers, black people all, and they're all taking the knee and they're, and they're doing it together and their arms were around each other. And to me, I thought, would that have happened if, if, if the, a number of black population didn't stand up and say, can we re, come back to this argument again because it's not okay just because we're not out on the streets every single day or every single week doesn't mean this problem has gone away this problem is still real this problem is still out there and we're all engaged in this problem and to me that was something that really seemed to be impactful was that it's not simply well yeah i feel bad about it but you'd made mention a moment ago you've actually got to take another step mm -hmm. maybe another few steps mm -hmm. and sometimes it's it's reconnecting with people. And, and so maybe Trish, you're going to get a hundred phone calls after this um, <laughs> saying, Oh, we feel over. But it's, it's where genuinely what impacted me was these are the friends that you had Yeah, that reached out to you and said, guys, I'm so sorry. Yeah. And, and you, they felt with you. And you said to me that meant a lot. Oh, absolutely. Sorry. And I feel like it's because, you know, you read so many of these stories where um, police are brutalizing black men and young black men and losing their lives and no one had done it. 
in the past four years, right? Like, even if I look back four years, like I have never received a call from, you know, people who don't look like me saying, I'm sorry about what I'm reading in the news. But this one is different because people are seeing that this man was not resisting. I think when we, when we see, when we hear things on the news, there's a tendency to say, okay, let's wait to see what he did you know, there's probably a good reason for it. And I think with this one particularly, you could, it, the entire thing was filmed. So you can see that he wasn't resisting. There were all of these facts that, okay, why was that much pressure needed? If he wasn't resisted, he was handcuffed, yada, yada. And I think that has opened a lot of people's eyes, but not only a lot, opened a lot of people's eyes, but it's never easy to talk about race, right? Like it's super uncomfortable. Even in this conversation, I told you, like, I don't even want to misrepresent my experience to be all black people's experience because it's not it's difficult to talk about race but I think when something like this big happens in the media it opens the door to be able to have those conversations and I think as Christians we can have those conversations with a greater level of love and empathy and understanding of the other you know um I you know when we we read so many verses in the Bible about how we are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. And this is not just the people who look like us, right? And so what does that mean practically as Christ followers? Um, I always say particularly that everything, you can't impact social issues from the government, like all of these things, to wait for the government to do something, to wait for policies to be changed, we will be waiting forever. Um, the impactful change begins in the home. So when we begin to teach our families, teach our kids about proper conversations, you know, make sure that your, that your kids have that friend of the other. I remember when we first started going to Aurora Cornerstone, this one particular family, we're still friends with them. Like she was like, I want your son to be friends with my son. Like she sought us out because she wanted that relationship between Andrew and Isaiah. Because she knew that this is what's going to, you know, this is what's going to make the world better. Um, and I don't, I don't know if, um, if, um, if everybody is that open to this, but I think that's where we have to get to. I like that. No, I really like that. And so can I just, um, uh, just want to reiterate some of the things you've mentioned here. Uh, you've mentioned about it is good to grow in knowledge on this. Uh, and to look into it. So just don't believe the media for what they're saying. Look into it. Uh, don't take it at face value. There's more than meets the eye. You'd mentioned about speaking up. Don't be passive. And this is um, another take home is, and I've heard it over and over. I heard it last night on the news uh, in Toronto, the march that took place in Toronto, that, uh, and there was younger, a younger generation. I don't know if they were young people, but they were maybe 20-ish years of age. And they were saying, it's important to see action. And that was one of the things in the, in this whole time that it's not enough just to acknowledge it and do nothing, but action requires to say something, to involve yourself in either conversation, involve yourself in connecting with the people. And sometimes it's even involving yourself in, in just going alongside. And, and if it's a March, it means a lot to come alongside to involve yourself. You had made mention about um, we need to do better in homes to talk about it in our homes. And that's uh, so that the conversation is there. Don't ignore the conversation because it's kind of the, the elephant in the room. So let's talk because we, we de-elephantize our room if we can just bring it out and start to talk about it. Invite families who are not a part of our, 
ethnic backgrounds. Uh, be a vocal ally. Uh, don't be silent. Ask questions. And I know I've written a few others here. Um, blacks feel often that whites do not suffer with them. Because this is not simply a, an issue. This is a people group who feel, who, who, who are suffering. And uh, I, I remember years ago, I mentioned this to you, Pastor Trish, that I had come across a book and I was reading a book and it was written by a black man and he was talking. When I got finished the book, I closed the book and I can't tell you the name of the book. I can't tell you the author now. I do not remember it. I think I'm borrowing it. And so I can't even give you that information. I can't go back to it. But the take home for me when I was done was this, Wayne, you will never understand because you can never be in their shoes. That was the key. You will never understand. So don't say you understand them. Don't say it because it's not true. You are saying it to try to make them feel better, but it's not making them feel better. It, they, they're going to look at you and go, you will never understand because you don't have the trauma in the background. Uh, and, and this brings you to the point where uh, the question that I think the, this whole George Floyd is bringing up now is the blacks are asking, will you whites, will you other ethnic groups, will you not suffer with us? Um, it doesn't mean be us, but it means will you not acknowledge that we, we're hurting? And there's something about just giving acknowledgement. Uh, there's something about just saying, tell me your story and listening to the story and letting the story be told of where things have happened that deeply hurt them, but they've had to bury it. And they feel they can never tell another person, or they certainly could never tell a white person because, well, we're going to judge them. We're going to, we're, as just what you, Pastor Church, mentioned, well, we're going to try to come up with the reason why that happened. We're going to think, well, we're, did, you, did you take anything before? Did you catch that white person off guard? Uh, was it a bad time of day? And we're going to try to reason the story, which just uh, takes the legitimacy out of that person's pain. The person is wanting to open up, wanting to, to reach across social and racial barriers, but they don't feel they can to us whites because we haven't allowed maybe the story to be told with all its emotions, all its feelings, um, and to realize that there's a suffering taking place, there's a wound that is taking place, uh, and um, and that what's taking place now, some of these protests and some of these things, is simply a voice of the wound. It's it's not saying we want to take over. It's not saying you, you know you whites are inferior, and and it's not saying that blacks only matter, right? It's not saying right. blacks only matter. That's the key. Sometimes we're hearing, well, blacks, well, all of us matter. But as soon as you say that, you've just said, you do not have a legitimate reason to say blacks don't matter. Right. We should all be able to say blacks matter. And we should be able to, to say it loudly and with conviction after having realized that there's a reason we need to say that and we need to believe that. Um, and, uh, and I think you made mention of this. I think it's important that we create spaces for expression like we're doing right here. And that's why we jumped into this a couple of months early is we wanted to create a space right here on this podcast for expression. Uh, in these few minutes, that was our goal. Our goal wasn't to solve anything. Our goal wasn't simply to tell stories, but we wanted to create what we hope is a safe space to express ourselves and to acknowledge emotions and prayerfully to listen to the stories and maybe to practice cultural humility. 
Um, isn't, isn't that the core of scripture? Yeah. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And if we would humble ourselves and, and just put our, I'm saying white, if whites, if, if I would humble myself and say, I don't know all this, I don't have a bead on this. Can I just now in humility, uh, join with my brothers and my sisters who are precious, not only in God's eyes, but precious in my eyes that I will demonstrate that in my becoming an ally with them and join together with them. It's not about them or us or any other ethnic group. It's about coming together. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think you've hit the nail on the head and, you know, um, I feel like, as you said, as brothers and sisters, if one person hurts, we all hurt, right? And that should be sort of the mandate and the push going forward. Um, you know, my favorite verse, and I know we had talked about this in the past, Pastor Wayne, is Esther 4.14, right? Maybe if you don't speak up now, imagine, like deliverance will come from someone else. Maybe you're born for such a time as this. And recently I was listening to a podcast and this uh, friend, um, Chris Chase, he had such a good relation to that story about how we need to act moving forward. Um, you know, Esther said to Mordecai, hey, go get everybody and start praying and fasting, right? So there's a prayer responsibility that we have as Christ followers. Um, but there's also a personal responsibility. She also went to the king and she told them. And I think that's sort of the speaking up part. So, um, you know, moving away, all of those things that we gave of how we can be allies are all great but we can't do any of it without Jesus. <laughs> um, and so there's a huge prayer responsibility that we pray for our brothers and sisters, that we pray for healing over the land, that we pray that, you know, people in positions of power who have hurt and oppressed other people, you know, we're even speaking about indigenous people, like all racialized groups, yeah. that they would stand up and that they would take responsibility and, um, apologize for the role that they have played and that God would heal our land. Right. And I think that's huge for me. It's just that, um, we, everybody, the whole world is being told the same things about here's how you're an ally. And I think our secret weapon is prayer and the fact that we can do it with Jesus. So we are that much more powerful and it should feel less of a burden as well. Cause we're not doing it in our own strength. We're doing it through, um, with Holy Spirit, we're doing it through his strength. And so it should be less burdensome than if we were trying to be everything and serve everybody in a way. Like if we just sort of humble ourselves, as you say, and walk in line with Holy Spirit, I think it will be easy for us um, to do. Okay. No, I like what you said. So, uh, Pastor Trish, I know that you've, you've collected some resources uh, that I think are going to be very valuable. And I just really encourage, I've, I've listened to, watched some of these. And um, so can you just kind of let us know what, where, where do we go from here? Yeah, so it will probably be in the link for this podcast as well. Uh, but it's, they're, they're all links. So we'll probably put it on uh, the church's website in a blog. So we will definitely link to everything. But if you are listening and you can't access our website, you know, just Google Christine Kane and Dr. Anita Phillips. Uh, they've got a great talk about race and reconciliation, especially within the church. So that was an awesome talk. So again, that's Christine Kane and Dr. Anita Phillips. And the second link is bethebridge.com. So that's a simple one. The entire website is full of goodness. 
guys. Um, but if you're really looking for tools to get started, just go to the resources section, but it's bethebridge.com. So those are the two. And I also think um, there's also an opportunity with, um, if you're part of uh, Cornerstone Connect, Cornerstone Church, that you have Right Now Media. And yeah. Right Now Media has a few links as well, don't they? Yes, so they do. They've got an entire section. And I think when you go online right now, because it's such a hot button topic, when you look in Right Now Media there, like I think it's probably in the first screen that you can see all of their race and relations uh, um, material and media that they have available. So if you, and if, even if you want that, I know both Pastor Trish and myself, we received uh, an email from Right Now Media back about a week ago, and they kind of put the top four out there. I know Tony Evans was one that I spent a little bit of time talking, and this is all pre-George Floyd thing, so this is right. not in response or reaction. This is all just how do we as uh, just bridge the gap between ethnic groups of people um, in a loving and Christ-like way, and so there's... Um, if you want to actually, if you're having a hard time searching it and finding it, which I actually tried and I had a hard time finding it, I had to go back to what he had pointed out. If you need that, uh, just email the church uh, at office or Aurora Cornerstone uh, or Trish or myself, and we can simply forward you Brian Mosley's uh, email that had four, I think, four or five specific things that you could go into and you can watch as a family. And so if you have that, again, if you don't have the Right Now Media, uh, again, just ask. Uh, we'll we'll put you onto our church line, and and it's free. It's like 10,000 10, free videos. I mean, what better thing could you ever ask for? It's better than Netflix. It is. So thank you, Pastor Wayne, for uh, having this conversation. I laugh because I'm like, every time we bring something to Pastor Wayne, you leave with homework. And so this was my homework. Uh, thanks for hearing me. Thanks for hearing the heart of it. And thank you for um, sort of being so willing and open to, again, give this the platform that it needs so that we can begin to see, you know, full acceptance in our church body. Yeah, and I, I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, and I and thank you, Pastor Trish, uh, and just being open and honest and uh, having the fortitude that you just step into it. And this, again, who wants to? You know, we all become judge and jury with other people's stories. But uh, having said that, these are our stories. These, these stories are continuing to evolve in your story. And your story represents others. Uh, we do, if we're going to be truly the body of Christ, then we've got to do a whole lot better. And this is, I think, what the Holy Spirit is. We can learn a lot. I think this is another Holy Spirit moment where God is bringing together his church. And his church is beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful with all its stripes and colors as we come together. Uh, we need each other. I am, I'm, I'm deficient without these brothers and sisters of mine. And until, in, again, in humility that I'm able to embrace um, them truly as, and, and to learn and to, if you would, sit at your feet. As a matter of fact, I'm going to put a plug in. I'm going to put a, tomorrow morning, I'm doing a message. Uh, I can't remember the name of my message now, but anyway, tomorrow morning, a uh, message that uh, is talking, it has racial slurs throughout this New Testament story of Jesus and this woman who comes to Jesus with a demon-possessed daughter and it is all around racial discrimination that's taking place. And watch how Jesus steps into this. And so I didn't do it in any sort. Like I wasn't thinking about our conversation today. I wasn't thinking about what's been on the news or the media. This is something that was on my heart a few weeks ago. But when I go back and I look at what I was preparing for this particular day, I realized, wow. Um, I mean, it's not just undertones. The story is about the story of how God responds to this. 
And I think if we really grab hold of, of the spirit of God, um, I think we're turning a new page and I, and I'd like to believe that. Yeah. I'm excited as well. Cause I think, um, things like this has the opportunity to change. And so far it looks like it'll be all positive change. So, so by the time this podcast comes out, you would have already preached your sermon. So it will, it could be found. <laughs> sure enough. We have to get this podcast recording thing down, but it, it will be found on auroracorderstone.ca slash sermons. So that's where it'll be. Well, Great. Thank you, Pastor Wayne. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our chat. The resources that we've discussed are available through the links in the description. We hope you've learned something new today and we'll see you next time.